podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hi folks, welcome along to this uh, very special edition of the Rangers Rabble, where I am delighted to be joined by the author of this wonderful book, The System, uh, Mr. Graham McDowell. Now I'll tell you what it says on the front cover about the book, it's The System, what we can learn when science and reason collide with Scottish football. So without further ado, Graham, if you could tell the viewers and hopefully a few listeners on the audio streams as well a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks, Will. Thanks for thanks for having me on and uh, saying the nice kind words about the book there. Um, so yeah, I'm a, a, a lecturer in further education, work in the field of um, sport and coaching. Um, you know, and have done for the last 20, 25, 25 years. Um, my my son's an avid football player, so I've been kind of you know involved with youth sport for the last 10, 15 years. Uh, first of all, as a, a spectator, then got involved in the coaching and um all of all of that kind of thing and, and really just because I've, I've kind of been uh, involved in the subject area from an academic perspective i've kind of got access to you know a lot of information and literature um that very often sits behind paywalls you know kind of academic journals and and all of these kind of things and i just thought it'd be nice to kind of uh, distill or dispense some of that information you know into a book and kind of almost layman's terms um you know to kind of work through some fairly complex topic areas um you know in a, in a way that that hopefully makes sense to people uh and set it against kind of scottish football and what I, what i believe to be the kind of the kind of issues and the situation over the last 20 25 years and the kind of quality of player that we're we're not bringing through anymore um so you know so i'd kind of access to that kind of information and um also you know kind of a knowledge about the, the the football scene, if you like. So I thought it'd be a good idea to put in a book. It started in in the kind of lockdown era where we all had a wee bit more extra time, <clears throat> you know. So I just kind of started putting it together and uh, finally finished it off this year. Yeah, I mean, looking at your um, your, your publisher's bits about yourself, you hold a, a master's in philosophy degree at, in sports coaching from the University of Birmingham, just so people know that you are actually qualified to talk about what you talk about. Mm. Um, you're also a lecturer at SRUC, that's Scotland's, that's the rural, I, think, yeah. I should know what that means because there's one just along from my work and I can't remember uh, yeah, what, what it actually means. Yeah, it's got Scotland's rural uh, college, they're in the process of kind of gaining university status. Um, I'm also associate lecturer with the Open University. And like like you say, just kind of you know involved in these areas, in, in terms of kind of lecturing from a day to day perspective, um, but you know been involved with football coaching and Scottish football as, as well. So just kind of brought those two things together. Yeah. Okay. So again, going back to the the publisher's blurb, I'll just read exactly what it says here from the website because I've actually read the book and it's very it is very very good. It is. You say you put it in layman's terms. Most of it's in layman's terms. There's one or two. There's one or two bits that are a bit. For, for a simpleton like me, that I'm a bit sort of, um, you know, out there, but it is. I mean, yeah, I've given it to my girlfriend to read, and she seems to have no problem with it. But she reads books a lot more than I do, so it's possibly uh, right. the fact that I'm not really an avid book reader that I, there's a few little bits that I struggled with. A bit complex. You know, um, 
a bit, a bit more complex, some of it, but she seems to be enjoying it. So I know um, it's really interesting. Really interesting, you know, actually. You know, so it says here the system is a story of Scotland's mission to re-establish itself as a footballing nation that can produce world-class players again. After examining every aspect of the process, Graham McDowell has concluded that we need to turn the system on its head to produce the type of player Scotland was once famous for. Now, I'm guessing you're slightly younger than me because you certainly look younger than me. And I can remember the days when there was good Scottish players and, in fact, very good Scottish players in, in every decent team in the United Kingdom. I mean, I'm going back to the late 70s, early 80s when Liverpool were champions of Europe, Nottingham Forest were champions of Europe, Aston Villa were champions of Europe, and they all had Scottish players in them. Lots and lots of Scottish players in them. Not just yeah. squad players, you know. And I'm... I mean, having read the book, I'm, I'm, you know, I know you, you, you think that's something that we need to try and get back to. Yeah, no, I, de I definitely do, and I think just that era that you mentioned there, well, the fascinating era, and uh, something I mentioned in the book, and if you think back to that 1982 World Cup team, um, where was the World Cup in '82? Was it Italy? Spain. <laughs> Spain. Spain. Um, so, so the kind of 15, 16 players that that were part of the first team squad. Um, for that World Cup finals, when when they retired, they had 31 European club competitions uh, winners medal between them. So you know, 30, 31 winners medals um, in European tournaments in that that squad, which I think is just remarkable, um, and speaks to what you were saying about the quality of the player in that era because they're in the top teams. You know, if, you, if you're winning European club competitions, you're playing for the best teams in Europe at that time and then obviously if you fast forward to now and you were to look at um you know the, the the current squad that that number would be almost non-existent um so the decline's been been remarkable but um you know you can even come forward to kind of more recent times and i would think um uh, you, you know if you think of range one of rangers uh, biggest achievements in, in europe in recent times if, if we're in the kind of modern era would be uh, looking at the Champions League in 92-93, um, you know, and, and you look at the, I was looking at the squad last night, and this is this is pre-Bosman, um, and if you take the two Marseille games, Rangers draw home and away with Mar Marseille, um, when the final whistle goes in Marseille, there's, there's 10 Scots on the field, yeah. you know, and uh, there's nine Scots on the field in the, in the home match. Um, and, you know, and if you put the bribery scandal sort of issues to one side, that, that Marseille team was full of uh, superstars. Uh, you know, you, you've, you've got Desai, Deschamps, you've got uh, Voller, Boxic, the goalie Barthez, Bolle's playing for them, who obviously later signs for the Rangers. Um, but that's a team full of Scots com com competing at that level in the 90s. Um, you know, so the, the, the decline's been remarkable. And what happens is obviously that's just pre-Bosman. Um, Bosman comes in at 1995, 96, 96, and everything just goes crazy almost overnight. Um, you know, and the, and the kind of situation, uh, the kind of financial situation, we start to buy in foreign players. Um, you know, Rangers continue to buy in very, very good foreign players. Um, but, but in a very, very short space of time, Scottish, Scottish football is almost bankrupt by the, by the turn of the century. Um, you know, Price Waterhouse Cooper report uh, had concluded that um, I think all but Celtic are, were functioning within sixty percent of their turnover in terms of wages. That they were the, the, the clubs were technically 
um, and, and solving. So yeah, it's been um, it's been a fascinating period, and really the kind of books try to capture all of all of that and start to kind of think the problem through a little bit. But uh, the quality of Scottish player was 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 really yeah evident. It was everywhere, as you mentioned. Yeah, as you say, it knows the, the quality of, of... I don't even know if so much it's the quality, it's the, the unearthing of Scottish talent nosedived very, very quickly um, mm-hmm. around about the time of Bosman. Yeah. Um, because for me, it was a lot easier to bring in average average foreign players who would come over here. And, I, I mean, I don't have any any stats to back this up, but I mean, I know, I know the, the, sort of, the sort of public perception at the time, and probably still now, was that you know you're going to get an average foreign player from from wherever from Europe from the, from South America wherever who would come over here and play for probably less than an equally talented Scottish player would be looking for uh, money wise which obviously you know to me was a bit of a drain on the talent in Scotland because they're not you know it's it's quite I mean you look at the teams all over Scotland yeah okay you've got Rangers and Celtic you've got you know who are well just now Celtic's riddled with with players from the far east. You know, Rangers have hardly got a Scott. Have hardly got a Scott in their team. Um, yeah. yeah. But you look further down the league. You get Motherwell, St. Mirren, Hearts. They're all bringing in players from all over the place, which is not giving the, the young Scottish talent the the chance to grow. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, you, you mentioned in your book part of the reason for that is possibly the lifestyle in Scotland. You know, there's a lot more obesity here than yeah. depending on how you obviously how you frame obesity. I mean, some people would. Be considered obese when quite frankly yeah. i don't think they are but medically they yeah. probably are you know yeah. that stuff like that's not really helping no that's not not helping at, at all and um you know i, I think just to, to to your point there this this isn't a celtic and rangers problem and, and people like to frame it as that in terms of the, the kind of foreigners coming in and you rightly say it's, it's across the league actually um you know and um the the kind of at the top end, the kind of the kind of teams who will have the kind of best balance of Scots versus foreigners, it's still only 50-50 percentage-wise. It's not any better than that. Um, you know, so on average, more foreigners start a, a SPL game than than Scots do. Um, you know, so it's it's, a, it's across the leagues in terms of the obesity lifestyle uh, side of things. Uh, what's definitely happened is the game's been driven away from the working classes. Uh, because of the because of the way that we've systemized it and um you know the kind of uh, pressure that puts on young people from an early age and um, we're picking up kids so young it's driving a model of early specialization um and that that drives high parental involvement um you know so it drives it into the middle classes that are um you know more kind of involved in that that sense whereas typically in the working classes we would we would treat growth as a more organic thing um, it's not really parents driving you here, there, and everywhere, uh, getting you the best boots and all of that. And the worry is that we've lost that that talent pool. That the the system isn't picking up all the kind of all the the kind of kids from the schemes and whatnot. And um, that, that that would have historically been such fertile grounds of talented footballers. Yeah, I mean that that I mean that that, that doesn't help either. I mean again, back, go, going back to to my day, you know we any spare bit of grass we played football and they, they simply yeah. don't do that now. I mean, if I'm driving about and I see a team of kids playing football anywhere, I think that's great. You know, really good. You know, but what doesn't help them... Yeah, it is. And what doesn't help them is that any any council pitch, if you like, that's got in these days, they tend to be fenced in and you've got to pay to use them and all that sort of stuff. And that's to your point, you know, it's coming away from the working class because you can't just... 
you know, put on, put on your trainers, grab a football and go to the nearest green space and kick a ball about. It just doesn't happen now. So, exactly. I mean, what, what your, your book is touching on is we need to get back to it more than that. You know, I mean, you, you lean not fairly heavily, but you, you do mention a lot the Henry McLeish's review of Scottish football from 2009. Yeah. You know, which, to be quite frank, hasn't been acted on. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's right. I mean, it's kind of, it, it gave the system a little bit of an upgrade. It did, where, where it, it was acted upon, you know, it did, it did improve facilities. Uh, brought in a lot of these kind of pitches that you're mentioning. Uh, so facilities improved. It brought in coaching qualifications. It, it upscaled that kind of thing. Um, it was insistent on focusing on the talented kids. So it was about giving um, more to fewer. You know, that in, in actual fact, they wanted to, well, latterly Project Brave wanted to kind of reduce the amount of kids that are in the academy system. Um, you know, so there's been a whole bunch of uh, things that have kind of happened there that have, have, have caused this. This issue, Catalyst being Bosman, uh, what what's quite quickly evident is post-Bosman is that there's something wrong with youth development across Europe. Um, so in 1999, they started talking about the uh, the club licensing scheme, UEFA, uh, where if you wanted to play in European football, you had to have, have a, youth, a formal youth structure in place. Uh, Scotland were part of the pilot scheme for that. We adopted it in 2004. Um, and that meant all the way from the age of under 10 up to the age of under 21, uh, you had to have some sort of academy structure in place. Um, and, um, you know, this this was all kind of part and parcel with the um, McLeish report, which was very well intended. Like you say, maybe not quite uh, acted upon as it was in fully intended. It brought in the performance schools. But for me, and as you'll know from reading the book, the main gripe was that, um, you know, it drove the age down by which we were uh, pro clubs are picking up kids. So they're removing them from grassroots football, uh, picking up these kids. And as soon as you do that, you bring in all these kind of things that um, are going to trick you, like early maturing boys that are, are going to stand out. Um, you know, so some kids talk about peak height velocity. That's one of the more complex things in there. But it's really just talking about your maturation stage, uh, your maturation status. Okay, so some boys will uh, go through uh, their final growth spurt at 11 or 12 years old if they're early maturing, uh, and they'll and they'll gain weight rapidly in that period. Um, but some boys won't go through that growth spurt until they're 16 or 17, um, and and there's a good chance they're going to be shut out of the system because they're going to be drowned out by the early maturers. Uh, so the, the so the main systemization and gripe that I'm kind of trying to highlight in the book is that we have pushed this kind of um, emphasis down on really, really young kids forced upon us because of the uh, UEFA license, licensing scheme. Um, and we're probably missing out on tons and tons of talented kids that are a bit later to the system or they've got sociological issues in the, the background. They maybe just don't have the same opportunities. And as such, we need to make sure that the system's open for long enough that, that we're not missing that talent. And, and sorry, just to further that point and that was far more like the 20th century in the 70s and 80s you could come in you know you could still be playing with your grassroots team at 15 16 17 and 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 you know and be one of the best football players in the nation by 21. yeah yeah i mean it is the, the way they, they pick up players now i mean i i don't have any direct experience of it because i've got well, I've got, I've got three kids. They're all girls. The oldest two weren't interested in football. My youngest one is 20 and only started playing football when she went to university two years ago. So, you know, I had no 
you know, like you said, you said at the start, you know, your your coach, you, you know, your 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 boys involved in, in youth football and your coaching and stuff. Like that. I yeah. I I know I've got lots of pals that do that do all that sort of stuff. I personally don't because yeah. my child that's interested in football didn't get didn't get involved in playing until she was eighteen. So by that time, you know, it was it was out of my uh, thing. But there is there's so, there's so much more emphasis on. I mean, I mean, the friends that I've got that get involved in coaching, they've all got to do a coaching course of some description. Whereas back in my day. You know, your dad or your uncle or your mate's dad just took just took the football team, and that was it. Or in school, the school teacher took the team. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And you you, you look back and um, correct me if I've got the details wrong, but I, I think Jim Baxter still at Crossgate uh, Crossgate Primrose at seventeen years old goes to Wraith Rovers, uh, and and you know six months later he's in the first team at Rangers. Yeah. That that's just not happening now, it, and and if it does happen, it's it's few and far between, and. And that's because of the way the system's set up. This, the system's set up to not allow that. So you lose a Jim Baxter. Um, you know, and like you say, it wasn't as formalised. Your kind of uncle or your pal were taking the team. Um, but we weren't removing the most talented nine or ten-year-olds and saying, right, now you go and play over there with the elite group. Uh, grass football, grass, grassroots football, massive in this country, huge. Huge, yeah. um, you know, but we, we remove what we believe to be the talented kind of nine and ten year olds very early, and the past don't really cross again anymore. And, and you know, that was the other thing. If you were a, if you were an S form signing at fifteen or sixteen in the twentieth century, you'd go back, you'd go back and play with your grassroots team, um, you know. And now we have this kind of best v best pro youth type of system where uh, a grassroots player won't play against a, a pro youth player once they've been separated in their journey. Yeah, there's also the thing that for me as well that's quite disturbing is that a lot of the players that are signed up to the academy system very very young, if as you see you know they've maybe had the the early the early growth spot they've maybe matured at 11, 12 year old, by yeah. the time everybody else is caught up and they're maybe sixteen, and they're yeah. deemed as not good enough they're just thrown on the scrap heap. There's just there's no you know and and this guy could be could be the best player that they've ever seen. I mean you, you hear so many cases of. That guy that's made it, whoever he is, he wasn't even the best player in the school in, in the in the youth team or in the school team, but the guys that that were better than him just didn't get the opportunity. That's right. That ha- yeah, that happens all the time. Yeah, and, and, and I kind of don't know if I put that in the book. I wrote about it somewhere, but you hear that uh, where they go, yeah, that guy, you know, that guy made it. But yeah, exactly what you just said there. He wasn't even the best player when we were younger. You know, well, what happened to that guy? Well. The problem with that guy is that you know maybe there was other issues going on. Maybe there was problems at home. Maybe there was like a late, slightly late maturer. Um, you know, maybe by the time he's 18, 19, 20, he's sitting at home going, well, you know, if I knew then what I knew now, I could have made it. Well, the system has to be open long enough to make sure that, that these these kids get a, get that opportunity. Yeah. So going back, I mean, you know, as you say, the, the, I mean, the book basically, basically, you're, you're, what you're saying is we need to really turn it, or turn it on its head and get back, get back to the way things used to be. Do you think that's achievable? It, I, well, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm absolutely convinced if it is to happen, um, it, the onus does then come back to to the big teams. I, I think uh, we take our lead from the from the big teams, um, you know. So it's until we're kind of Rangers, Celtic, say enough's enough. We're, we're changing this. The, the academies aren't producing. Uh, first team players. There's no criticism of the coaches within these academies. They're they're operating within a system that's given to them. Uh, I'm sure that you know an Rangers academy coach must be frustrated if they've taken a kid through the system for ten years, um, you know, and they don't get a 
extended run out in the first team. Must be frustrating for the academy coach. Um, like you say, we'll go and kind of bring in a more finished article in terms of a foreign player. I, I genuinely think it, it's, it's to the top teams to say enough's enough. Um, you know, Rangers maybe missed an opportunity 10 years ago, you know, when they were forced down the, down the leagues to kind of just go with the kids then and say, we're going to Sorry to cut across you. I 100% agree with that, but that's a different conversation for a different ah, day. Different one I've had on several, think... several occasions. We should, sorry, we should really, when we, when we put down the leagues in 2012, for me, we should have been coming out of that with half a dozen players who started, who came through the youth academy, who oh. had 100, 150 appearances, first without team for Rangers, without ah. any question. Well, I, I, I honestly, fundamentally believe um, Rangers would be in a totally different situation right now. Um, both on the pitch financially, I don't, I don't know the ins and outs of any of that, but what I mean, but just to that point, you would just have and you could just keep bringing it through. Once you've got six or seven as your core, you just keep bringing it through. Um, so I think it, it starts with the clubs, I don't think it starts with the SFA or any, anything else, but they just go, you know, enough, enough's enough. Um, but as, as we know, everything's about tomorrow in the world of football, the top league, so much pressure, you know, uh, you know, the manager's not going to do that, his job's on the line, everybody manager's on the line, they're not going to go and bring in six players unless it's policy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I don't know I don't know exactly when that when that happens. Could the could the governing bodies kinda enforce a more homegrown uh, player rule like they've got in the premiership in England? That's that's helped fundamentally. Under twenty ones are now playing twice as many first team minutes uh, in the EPL versus ten years ago because of the inception of the homegrown player rule. Uh, we have no such thing in Scotland. Uh, that's not that's not helping. But yeah, it's for the clubs, for my opinion, for them. They, they need to change the culture. Yeah, I mean, the problem I see for, for the clubs, I mean, is that, you know, you're right, I agree, I agree with what you're saying, but like, for example, Billy, Billy Gilmore is a prime example that I always flag up when I'm talking about things like this. That yeah. at, at 16, he's about to sign his first professional contract. He's come through the Rangers Academy and... Chelsea came in for him and offered him life-changing money for a 16-year-old. And he, can't, and he can't turn it down. Now, that happens to so many good Scottish players. The boy Ben Doak that came through at Celtic, exactly the same situation happened with him. He got offered life-changing money with Liverpool. And they've both gone on and made it. But there's so yeah. many other examples of that that guys don't make it and they end up in the lower leagues in England. And it, that just doesn't help Scotland at all. No, exactly that. You know, There's always these kind of outliers where you, you'll get, like you say, a Gilmore, a Doak, a Patterson. And these guys, and it's the kind of survivor bias we we, we hold these, or the you know we hold these up and say, well, look, the system must work because these guys managed to do it. Um, but in terms of just the sheer numbers, they're they're outliers. I would remove them from the conversation because it, you know it, it happens so seldomly. For me, it doesn't speak off the system at, at, at all. Um, you know, so yeah, turning it on its head for for me. Uh, comes from the top clubs, maybe a little bit of policy change at an SFA level, and uh, I I have no doubt that the talent's out there. So has your has your as you see you know this, you started writing this the genius this was due, was during the, the lockdown and the COVID two or three years ago. Has your opinion on what needs to happen changed any in the last maybe twelve months when as you, as you highlight in in the in the fly cover of the book that Scotland qualified for the World Cup in ninety eight. I haven't touched a, mm. a competition since. Well, they've, they've yeah. qualified for the last two. So yeah, is that is that more of a luck than judgment? I don't know if it's uh, luck than judgment. I mean, I look at the I look at the data and the players that are in these squads, uh, and the SFA like to highlight the performance school graduates. 
Uh, so they put a little JD against the name of the squad. You've probably seen that in order to highlight that these players have come through the formal system, you know. And 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 so so far we've got uh, Gilmore and Patterson, who are the, the the two that regularly. So I don't think it speaks of a, a system success. Unfortunately, I'd love to see a a Scotland team that was 80% performance school graduates uh, go to a Euro finals, qualify out the group, beat one of the big seeds. And then we can say, absolutely, look, this is a systematic success. This is the, the, the systems produce this success and it'll keep doing it. Um, I think instead what we have is a, you know, as a manager who um, has got everybody playing, you know, probably 10% above their, their, their kind of capabilities, getting the absolute most out of them, put square pegs and square holes, um, you know, and, and, and it's the effect of the, the manager being able to do that, I think. Um, as far as I can see, yeah. So I mean, so, so your, your your opinion hasn't changed really. It's still the no, system. Yeah, right. it's not changed. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, to, yeah. To your question, it's not. You know, I mean, yeah. you look at the you look at the um, you know the the the, the younger Scottish age groups, the 21s and the 18s and things, and they do the same you know same sort of thing. There is a few coming through, um, but the thing that I've always thought, and I don't know if it's anything to do with with the system or anything like that, it seems to be that. Scotland can have great, great teams, great players up to up to under 18s to a degree, mm. up to 21s. Then they just seem to fall off a cliff, you know. Yeah. And no, I no idea why that is. I mean, for me, that that could be a a society thing. It, it could be the way the clubs are, you know. Yeah, it's it's something that really, really needs addressed for me. It's uh, like you say, because well, it's definitely a mix of mix of things. But um, playing. Under uh, playing age group international football um, is a, a really good indicator that you're you're not going to play senior level international football. Um, unfortunately, you know I would draw attention to the I think it was the 2014. Uh, in, in 2014, we got to the final of the European Championships at um, under 17 level, I think, and yeah. um, nobody from that squad has yet been capped at senior level. So there's, there's bit, wow. you know, so that, and that kind of shows you um, the, the the issue of being being good young, you know, potentially you're taking advantage of a lot of kind of maturation things there. Good good football players, combination of things. But the biggest thing is that they 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 aren't able to take the step up to first team football regularly with their parent clubs, and that just stops the growth. Um, but where you do see growth is you see growth with. Um, you know, an Andy Robertson or, you know, even a, a John McGinn who have kind of worked them their way up from a lower level. And uh, the growth doesn't stop because they're able to get first team football at every level. Yeah. Um, whereas if you're, you know, if, if you're at one of the, if you're at Rangers or, you know, Celtic or these kind of teams, the chances of getting first team football is pretty small. Um, and it's going to, it's going to stifle your growth for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean that's that's something again. I've not been involved in in coaching kids at any level or anything like that ever, but it's something that I, that that I've always you know said to people that if you if you've got a kid who's good enough, and I mean I'm I'm as much a range of sport as you'll ever find. If you've got a kid that's good enough, and you've got to put them to an academy, don't put them to a big team, don't put them to Rangers or a Celtic. You know, if you can put them to if you're in Glasgow, Partick Thistle or mm. Queens Park or something like that, because if they're good enough, they'll make it through, and the big club will come and get them. But they'll get more. They'll get more first team experience because there's not so much pressure. I mean, I mean, for, for current day situation, and I can only talk about Rangers because it's what I know. We're screaming out for guys like Ross McCausland to get more minutes. 
yeah. situation we're in just now, managers aren't prepared to take that risk on them. Although these guys are really good. Whereas if, if he was at Motherwell, oh. St Johnston, he'd be playing every week. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you look at, um, you, you've, you've got the boy Rice, haven't you? Yep. You know, and, uh, you know, Bill was, was playing out him. Uh, he was talking him up and I, I dare say, you know, a real good player. You want to see him play and he needs to play. Yeah. You know, and I look, when, when Bill mentioned that, I went and kind of had a wee look at his development and background and it comes through Motherwell, I think. Uh, he did, yeah. Probably for the same time as Lennon Miller. Yeah. Lennon Miller, yeah. Uh, you know, and he's now playing week in, week out for, for Motherwell in mm. the first team and his development's just going to, you know, keep, keep going. This kid needs to play. I uh, couldn't agree with you, you more and until um, that, that kind of decision is taken by the clubs, that it's a policy decision, I'm not sure that's going to happen. Or, um, yeah, the, the players have got to get played or their, their, their growth's going to be stifled and um, that's not benefiting anybody, club or country. No, it certainly isn't. I mean, um, do you also think something else? I, I, I picked out the book and I, I just like the expression and it's one I'd never heard of before. And I think... The way, the way you framed it, it's probably is one of the reasons that some of the talent doesn't through, through in Scotland is, is tall poppy syndrome. You know, yeah. you, you, you highlighted that. I thought that was a great expression. I've never heard it before. I thought, I'm speaking to Graham about tall poppy syndrome. So yeah. I I think, as you pointed out in the book, I think that's part of the reason that, you know, Scot Scottish players possibly aren't as successful as they should be. Yeah, just that kind of fear of standing out. and Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things that McLeish in the review had wanted to kind of uh, emphasise. That's why he wanted to put his emphasis on, you know, celebrating the talent, um, you know, and getting away with this kind of tall poppy syndrome where we cut people down because they're they're good and um, therefore kids are kind of scared of standing out because they're kind of ridiculed. Um, and sometimes that will you know, result in behaviour that um, isn't, isn't kind of desirable. So, yeah, I mean, I kind of think that, um, I relate to that growing up, certainly. I remember that kind of notion, and you will do too, I'm sure, you know, where you kind of don't get too big for your boots, yeah, uh, kind of thing. And I talk about the kind of the old days of the Gallus Scott, you know, who um weren't too scared to get a wee bit big for their boots, you know, and just kind of stand, stand up for themselves and that kind of thing. So, definitely a cultural thing there, I think, yeah, yeah, because I mean, you talk about the Gallus Scots, I mean, it was Gallus Scots that basically. You know, brought took football to South America for for example. You know, yeah. to, to start with. You know, so without without that, you know, sort of thing that sort of, that sort of cultural thing back then, then the you know, football in South America probably wouldn't be what it is now. So it, it is definitely a cultural thing from that point of view. And, and the problem is that when you when we get back to this kind of aspect of selecting kids at nine, ten, ten years old, um, of driven again driving the, the game away from the working class where we've probably lost a lot of that character that's out there you know all the cheeky wee kids and all that that probably wouldn't fit into a formalized system because they get kicked out for being a wee bit cocky well actually that's where the <laughs> that's probably exactly where the talent is you know the, yeah you probably lose a lot, a lot of kids that are put into that situation nine and ten that are really shy and can't can't adapt to it you know and yeah. we'll, we'll sort of, their parents will say no he's not enjoying that i'll, I'll take him out when in, in reality, it's just a wee shy kid. He needs a needs a wee, wee bit of a cuddle. Needs a, you know, he should possibly go into that system a little bit older. Absolutely, and, and exactly what you get. You get you, you you lose the both ends of the spectrum when you you try and systemize something from a young age. So you've got the shy kids at one end, 
and then the really cocky kids at the other end and who are, you know, and are, he's, you know, too much trouble kind of thing. And that guy's too shy. So we get the middle ground, you know, and, and you get a very kind of similar type, if you like, that they kind of all sort of look similar, yeah. look the same, same characteristics. And, and you kind of lose that, either the shy, late, mature or, or the, uh, the, 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 the cocky wee guy that's full of himself and doesn't want to play by the rules. Well, you know, a lot of our great football players were like that. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Jim Baxter earlier on, you know, I mean, he's, case in, before, even he's, before, he's, he's even before my time, but case in point, you know, he was a, he was a bit of a rogue, but he yeah. was prodig prodigious talent. You, you're losing guys like that for, for the very reasons that you state. Yeah, and exactly that. And, you know, I can't imagine him at nine year old, nine year old getting picked up by a pro youth system. You know, if he's kind of a, a skinny wee kid at nine, um, he's probably not going to get into that formal system. But fortunately enough, you know, you were able to kind of keep the system open long enough for him to catch up, um, you know, physically and all of these kind of things until he's just, you, you just can't ignore it. You just can't ignore the talent anymore. Um, and then they're kind of brought in. Yeah, definitely an issue. Yep. So before I let you go, um, I want your opinion on something, which is pro-youth related. So don't, don't worry, I'm not throwing, I'm not throwing a curveball at you. Um, <laughs> obviously you had... You know, last season you had the the three the three Rangers Celtic and Hearts B teams in the, in the Lowland League, yeah, a couple of seasons. And then Rangers pulled out of it to do this best BVS, which you which you referenced earlier. Yeah. Do you do you think that from from what from what you did studying for the book and things like that that the the teams been in the Lowland League is going to be is 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 helping the younger players or is the best v best a better option? I don't know how much you know about it about that, yeah. that sort of side of it. Yeah, I, th I think um, neither are a particularly good option, in my opinion. I think the, the, the B teams in the Lowland League, well, in, in both options, it's really just we don't know what to do with these players at this yeah. point, so we need to do something. So we either create best v best or we, or we get them into the, the Lowland League or we create a conference league um, because fundamentally they're not, we're not going to progress them into the first team. They're still here. They're still under contract. What the hell do we do with them? And and to me, it's driven by that rather than um, anything else. I, mean, I, I understand it's driven by development as as, as well, but it, it's it's not providing that that developmental situation that's going to uh, produce the outcome. So yeah, I don't think any of them. But do you have an opinion on that yourself, or would you see one better than the other? I I like the low, I like the lower league thing. I like Rangers in the lower league because it was formalised and there was something to play for for the players every week. I thought yeah. that was quite that was quite good. Um, what I didn't what I didn't like was the fact that because it's it's three of Scotland's big teams playing up against you know if, if you want for want of a better expression and I hate the expression journeyman journeyman footballers uh -huh. yeah, you know yeah. guys who that that's their level and all the you know all they're doing is, all they're, they're basically trying to make a name for themselves you know there, there was I mean I, I used to go I, I've been to a lot of Rangers games in the in the Lowland League and. Because obviously the, you'd, you'd expect the, the B team players to be quicker and fitter and faster and things like that, and they were getting clattered quite a lot. And they, I don't know how much they particularly learnt from it. The, yeah. the best v best thing, I quite like, but it's similar age groups. I like what Rangers are doing with it because we're playing. You know, just this season it's changed a bit. This season they're playing. They've played a couple of European first teams. Yeah. You know. Um, and they've played sort of under our, our under 21s or B team, if you like, against under 23 teams from England and things like that. So they're playing a, a better level. The thing that, that I don't want to go back to happening 
it's what happens at the at the lower at the you know under, under 17 under 18 level that these guys because they're in academies they're, they're basically they're playing the scottish teams are playing each other and the players are playing their mates from internationals international yeah. squads and they're playing the same players every week for five years you yeah, know they start off at under they start off at under 10s and they're playing say it's rangers are playing celtic and the players are more or less the same four years later when they're playing at under 14s under 15s they're not going to learn anything from that no no i totally i totally agree uh, like like i say i think it's just literally we have to do something with these players because we've taken them through the system um you know i don't think it'll, it'll ever happen but you know if rangers were to have a philosophy like the one i uh, talk about in the book with uh, bilbao in spain you know where 80 percent or 85 percent of your team has to come from um let's just say scotland um I, I genuinely believe that you know with within a five-year period you would have a, a pr- production line of talent coming through and periodically you'd be competing in the latter stages of your champions league like an ajax almost it kind of comes every three or four years because the talent gets sold and then they have to wait for it coming back up and, and have to wait on it getting first team football and then they go again um you know it, it would it would be a great economic model it would put millions in the bank it would have millions of pounds worth of assets on the pitch um, but I would be relinquishing the kind of the opportunity to win um, to win a title for a few years because you'd be literally saying, no, we're starting from ground zero here. Uh, this this is going to kick in in a five to ten year period of time. Yeah, you know. But um, and, therein, and therein, therein lies the problem for Rangers and for Celtic because obviously, no, the yeah. support aren't going to aren't going to accept that. And I know that because I'm one of them. I'm, I'm, you know, the support aren't going to accept that. But to the same to the same vein. It's not happening any other team, you know. It's not happening no, at Aberdeen and Motherwell. You know, again, if if one of them was to take the lead and say, "Look, this is what we're going to do. We're going to predominantly go homegrown, mm-hmm. and we might end up in the bottom six for a couple of seasons, but ultimately we're going to end up qualifying for Europe every year." I think it would be difficult, but some of the support might accept that. And if it worked for them, the big two might look at it and go, "Hold on, they're thriving because of that, so we might try it." But yeah. the, the problem that, and it's not just a Scottish problem, it's certainly a British problem, you know, Rangers, Celtic, Man, Man United, Arsenal, Liverpool. If you if, if I think if those clubs turn around and say, look, we're going to, as you say, start at ground zero, so for three or four years, we're not going to be challenging for anything. They just wouldn't, the fans just wouldn't accept it. And that, again, it's a society thing. It's an argument, it's a society thing. Always bring it back to the point. Take take Billy Gilmore. What, what's Billy Gilmore's? Um, market value right now, what would it be? I have no idea. You know, well, tens he, of he, he went. He went to Brighton for ten million pounds after not making it to Chelsea. Right. So let's just say he's, he's, he's worth 15, 20 million pounds. So Rangers, I'm assuming, couldn't buy Billy Gilmore right now no, and pay his wages. Absolutely not. Yeah. No. So so Rangers need to develop players that turn into the type of twenty-five-year-olds that they couldn't afford to buy. Yeah you know sell them on and have the next lot coming through and and that is the only way we elevate our, our standard in scotland because we're such a small country it's never going to change in the premiership they can buy in all that that's you know that's a small change to them um you know so my argument is in, in, until the, the likes of our big clubs start to develop players that they, they couldn't afford to buy nothing changes um and like you say it'd be nice to see if a motherwell or something did that i think the onus is absolutely on our top clubs to change this um it, it yeah. stops they said right enough's enough this is the model we're going with um and let's let's try and see this out 
Yeah, but the problem with one of the big clubs doing that is if Rangers did it, Celtic would win everything, which they're doing just now anyway. But and if Celtic went, well, we're starting at ground zero, getting rid of all the foreign players, Rangers would win everything again. The supporters wouldn't accept that, which is why you'd really need somebody else to step up and do it. You know, or get somebody else challenging. If you could get somebody else challenging, I mean, and I mean, nobody else has won a title outside of Rangers you know, and Celtic since 1985. It's an interesting. You know, somebody else could step up and do that. Somebody else could step up and do that, but. You know, so at the moment, and we're probably getting into different areas here. That you know, I'm, 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 I'm assuming that financially, Celtic have the superiority over Rangers in, in the in the back, right? So, yeah. if you look at title winners over the last 20, 30 years, and you go back to '85, you know, typically the dominant dominant team is the dominant economic team, yeah. um, and that only really changes when there's something in the background like uh, ten in a row. And if you look at both Celtic and Rangers, faltered at the last kind of hurdle there. Interestingly, the, the team that faltered at that point in time were the richer team. Okay, so Rangers have the richer squad in uh, 97, 98, Celtic have the richer squad in 2021, and it's just that psychological hurdle like, trying to win 10 in a row seemed to be the problem, right? So um, nothing changes really that much um, when, when it comes down to just pure economics. Typically, the, you know, the, the, the richer team continues to win. So if that's the case, and if you look if you look back to kind of 2012, and what, Rangers have got what one in at top level, one league and one cup, yeah, you know, and and it's just try to take that long term view, going well, you know, how much is that actually going to change if we don't get superiority um, in the uh, financial side of things? Is this the time to pivot our strategy and say, you know, yeah. I bet you're right, it's not going to happen, is it? No, but as I mean, as we said earlier, from Rangers' point of view, twenty twelve was a huge mistake. Not you know, that not, was, not, bringing three, not bringing three points. That was the opportunity. We said it at the time, and I get why they did what they did. But we didn't need to be signing, you know, seasoned Premiership players to be winning the, the bottom two or three leagues in Scotland. We just didn't have to do that. Um, but anyway, I could I won't take up any more of your time. We could sit. No. I could sit here and talk about Rangers for time and memorial. Absolutely, fascinating conversation, and uh, so, yeah. Absolutely. Re- really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed reading the book as well. As I say, my uh, my heart supporting girlfriend is currently reading the book and she's enjoying it. Nice. Because um, she said to me, I'm looking for a book to read, and I threw that one at her and she went, I want something <laughs> I, don't, I don't need to think too hard about it. So like, just read that because you'll enjoy it. And she is right. really enjoying it. I really appreciate I was trying that. To talk, I was trying to talk her into coming on, but she says, Two things, I haven't finished it and I'm at work. I says, Well, okay, fair enough. <laughs> so, Anyway, for, for people, it's pu- published by Pitch, our good friends at Pitch Publishing. Uh, it's Graham McDowell's book, The System. This is it here. You just need to look for that um, and get that in your all your local local uh, bookshops, Amazon, all these places. I'll have a wee look here. I think it's twelve ninety nine, which is an absolute bargain. I mean, that's only that's only a couple of pints you get out drinking in the town. So, you know, it's <laughs> an absolute bargain. Graham, it's been a pleasure. Thoroughly Thanks. enjoyed the chat. Yeah, really appreciate you having me on. Thank you. No problem. And best of luck with the book. Podcast Network.